Um, I tell you, I'm glad to be here too. You can hear a little difference in my voice. I don't have anything. I just got a, an assault by pollen this week and uh, tried to take my voice away. In fact, this is the best it's been in three days. And uh, so listen carefully. I'm having to uh, 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 be careful with the, my words uh, to get them out and get them out clearly. Uh, I told Chuck a couple of days ago, I said, Chuck, uh, make sure you got a sermon in your hip pocket. Uh, I said, because uh, this is going to be a game time decision. I said, I'll let you know Sunday morning if I've got enough voice uh, to preach, but I feel fine. No problems there. Don't be scared of me. All right. Uh, but uh, if I don't talk with you a lot in between services, it's because I'm uh, saving my voice for obvious reasons. Open your Bibles again to 1 Samuel chapter 13. We'll read our text in just a moment. Uh, the title of my message today is Don't Be in Such a Hurry. The late Dallas Willard uh, answered the question, What is the key to a healthy soul? by answering, We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. John Tadlock, in his book, When It's Rush Hour All Day Long, states this about hurry There's little doubt that hurry is indeed the enemy of one's spiritual life. Most of us who are part of Western culture live in a hurry-soaked world. Our lives are characterized by a frenetic pace. You probably would agree with that. And because we live in a world of hurry, we often have trouble waiting on God. And when we get ahead of God, when we don't wait on God, when we get in front of Him, not much good happens, does it? And so today I want to talk with you on this subject about waiting uh, on God. And waiting on God is important because this whole series is about the fact that God is up to something big. If God is up to something big, and He is, and He always has been, then waiting on Him is imperative, right? Because He knows what He's up to. And so our role is to wait to see what He wants us to do in the context of what He is doing. If you're physically able to do so, would you stand with me this morning as we read our text? Because I want to talk with you again this morning on the subject of not being in a hurry and waiting on God. And we're going to look at a familiar story in the Old Testament, uh, an incident that happened in King Saul's life. Verse 8 says that he, that is Saul, waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I've not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose, and he went up from Gilgal, 
the rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army, and they went up from Gilgal to Gebeah of Benjamin. Now, Lord, would you speak to us this morning from your word? Would you teach us and would you instruct us? Father, would you convict where we need to be convicted and would you correct us? God calls us to hear your word. Father, not just uh, in our ears, but in our heart. Cause that which comes in to be used by your Holy Spirit uh, to make a difference so that we leave here uh, in a different way than we came in. We thank you for your word. Speak, Lord. We're listening in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now, let me set this up for you. In accordance with the Word of God, Saul was camped at Gilgal, he and his army, and he was anxiously awaiting the passing of seven days. He had been told by God, through the Word of God, to go and to wait there, and that Samuel would arrive on the seventh day, and that Samuel would offer a sacrifice or sacrifices that would be offered before Saul was to go into battle. In other words, they were offerings of sacrifice to bring about the favor of God or to ensure the favor of God. These were the instructions that had been given. So, so Saul is with his army. He's at Gilgal. He is waiting, hopeful that Samuel is going to arrive at the appointed time. And when the time comes um, and uh, Samuel is not quite there, and by the way, he had the full day to be there, and when Samuel is not there, Saul panics. And when he panics, he takes matters into his own hands. And the result of that would be uh, consequential to Saul. Uh, it would not only be consequential to Saul, but it would be consequential to Saul's family and listen to his future. And it was all because uh, Saul got in a hurry and he did not wait in obedience to God and to the instructions that he had been given. Now, I think many of us, if we're honest, we could probably identify with Saul, couldn't we? We could probably say we've been there. We've got ahead of God. We, 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 we've tried to do what, what we thought God wanted us to do. And look, I don't even know that you could fuss at Saul and say his intentions were malicious. I don't think they were. I think they were well-intentioned, but I think they were based on his own panic and his own fears instead of on the faith, uh, the facts of, of God's word. But I know we can identify with that. All of us have gotten in a hurry and we've taken matters like Saul into our own hands instead of waiting uh, in accordance with God's word. And with that in mind this morning, I want to show you a few things that this passage teaches us about waiting on God. The first thing I want you to notice is Saul's impatience. Verse 9, as we said, we, he panicked. Look at verse 9. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Saul essentially gave up on Samuel. But in giving up on Samuel, he was also giving up on the word of God, right? Because God had instructed him. God had given him this. So in effect, Saul gave up on Samuel and as a result, he gave up on God. About a decade ago, there was a study conducted by the Associated Press and Ipsos, and they surveyed over a thousand Americans concerning their, uh, this uh, matter of their attitude uh, when it came to being impatient. And here's some of the findings that this study reported. While waiting in line at an office or a store, it takes the average of 17 minutes for most people to lose their patience. You get that for waiting in line at a, 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 an office or a store. About 17 minutes before a person loses their impatience. Frankly, that's longer than I thought. But um, uh, on the phone, 
it takes about nine minutes for most people to lose their patience. Of course, the problem is you're talking to a recording most of the time, aren't you? Women lost their patience after waiting in line for about 18 minutes. Can you, uh, can you believe it, women? 18 minutes, that's all you got? Well, men, for us, it's 15 minutes, all right? <laughs> that's all we got. Uh, <clears throat> the study also reported that people with lower income and less education are more patient than those with a college education and a high income. Isn't that interesting? You know, God works in ways that we often, we just don't understand. For example, why does it take so long for God to do some of the things that we know he has promised to do or what he has told us to do maybe is? Or why is it that it takes so long for us to grow? You ever thought about that? Why does it take so long for God to do what he's doing in my life? Why isn't he doing more in my life? We can get real impatient sometimes with God, and we can get impatient with those kinds of things. I've got a promise from God. God has told me something. It's not happening as fast as I uh, assumed it would, ha uh, would happen. But here's the, the thing. We must never get impatient with God. To get impatient with God or with the Word of God assumes that we know more than God. And so we must never get impatient with God. Did you notice in reading through that text what caused Saul's impatience? write this down it was desertion he says in verse 11 when I saw the people were scattering he saw the people the desertion of the people and so this this caused him to become impatient where's Samuel where's Samuel the people are leaving another thing that caused his impatience was delay in verse 11 he says to Samuel when Samuel did arrive and by the way Samuel arrived right after Saul had done what Saul shouldn't do and when he did arrive if you notice, the scripture says that, that uh, uh, Saul says to him, well, when you did not come, you, you delayed. When you delayed, then I took matters into my own hands. So desertion caused him to become impatient. The people were deserting around him. The, the delay of Samuel. Then distress. Verse 11 says the Philistines had mustered. He becomes afraid. He gets distressed. He sees that the army of the Philistines have have mustered together they have formed a ready for battle and so his distress and fear cause him to become impatient by the way uh, there are four of these that I, I listed the fourth is desperation verse 12 he said I have not sought the favor of the Lord he says he sees the army coming he sees the people uh, leaving Samuel has not arrived there's delay there's desertion there's distress and so there there comes this desperation and so he says I have not I, I know I haven't sought the favor of the Lord and Samuel's not here so I've got somebody's got to seek the favor of the Lord before the Philistines attack us and so he, he that's an excuse for him to become uh, impatient but did you notice of the four I just gave you three of those were all based on his eyesight three of those were all based on what he saw and it is a reminder uh, to us that we walk by faith we don't walk by sight we walk by faith in the word faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God we walk by faith we don't walk by sight but when our sight gets in the way we become just like Saul and we risk getting in front of God or trying to uh, uh, cause whatever it is that God wants to happen to happen. Try to make it happen, so to speak. And so, uh, saw all of these things. Man, the people are leaving. The Philistines are gathering for war. Uh, I, I don't see Samuel anywhere. And subsequently, uh, 
he becomes desperate and he says, I, I can't face the army without the favor of God, so I'll take matters into my own hands. I guess you could say in some sense Saul had plenty of logical reasons and logical excuses to do what he did, but the problem was with his reasoning uh, that it caused him to abandon the Word of God. His own logic, and listen to me, I'm not ever telling you not to be smart or wise or use logic, but be careful when God's giving you a word because the devil will use your logic against the Word of God. The devil will use your logic to say, now wait a minute, this just makes sense. This, 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 this. I'm supposed to face the Philistine army. They're a formidable force. They're gathering for battle. Samuel is not here. My people are leaving. I've got to do something to get the favor of God. Logically, it made sense. But be careful when your logic causes you to defy what God has already clearly told you. And so he took matters into his own hands. Today, it's possible that there are some of you that have given up on God. You think, well, he's just not going to do what he said. He's just not going to come through. Uh, and, and you're trying to handle things by yourself. And I want to tell you what God wants you to do. He wants you to slow down and wait on him. Slow down and wait on him. God has given you, if God has spoken to you from his word, you wait on that word. Uh, Haggai, um, the, the prophet said, if the vision tarries, wait for it. It will come. It will surely not delay. It will come in God's time. Wait for it. The second thing I want you to notice is Samuel's indictment. Look at verse 13, Samuel's indictment. We see it there. So, so <clears throat> Saul goes ahead. He offers a sacrifice. <laughs> In verse 13, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. This is Samuel's indictment when he shows up. Hearing Saul's rationale, Saul tells him, here's why I did this, here's why I did this. Saul indicted him immediately with the judgment of God. Saul, uh, Samuel in, uh, uh, declared that Saul had acted foolishly and in doing so, he had tragically disobeyed the Lord's command, and he had disobeyed by not waiting the seven days, and he assumed the place of a priest. Now, this is something uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on, but listen, uh, Saul was a king. He wasn't the priest. And in doing what he did, he, he made himself into the office of priest. And so he acted out in a role that God had not created him to operate by. And uh, as a result of that, he offered the sacrifices in defiance of his own responsibilities and the role God had given him. And the judgment of God on Saul by Samuel was quick. It was strong. And it was very severe. In fact, Samuel told Saul that he would lose the permanent establishment of his kingdom the rule of his family as a, a dynasty uh, would be removed from him, and his kingdom would not last. He would be bypassed, and another kingdom or dynasty would be established. That, of course, would be the kingdom uh, and the dynasty of David. As I was working on this message this week, I read a, a, an interesting article about a circuit judge, Daniel Rozak, from uh, Will County, Illinois, and he may be the only federal judge in the history of America who has ever sentenced a man to prison because of a yawn. You see, in August of 2009,
Clifton Williams was attending the hearing of his cousin in a Joliet, Illinois courtroom, and his cousin pleaded guilty to a felony drug charge. When he pleaded guilty, the judge, Judge Rozak, delivered a sentence of two years probation uh, for his plead. Well, Mr. Williams, Clifton Williams, the cousin who was sitting there, when the judge delivered a sentence of two years probation to his cousin, he just let out an in incriminating jaw, and he stretched out his arms and went, <sighs> and Judge Rozak noticed it. And later described the incident by saying this, that Mr. Williams raised his hands while at the same time making a loud yawning sound. The judge decided that this was a disrespectful interruption of the court, that Williams was not taking seriously the matter at hand, and so he sentenced Williams to six months in jail, the maximum penalty for contempt of court without a jury trial. Well, you know, Saul's sentence might seem a bit harsh, but God takes our responses to our assignments seriously. Just like Judge Rozek took seriously what he was doing in that court, God says, I take seriously how you respond to what I'm doing. And uh, the Bible says in Scripture, if you think, well, this seems a bit harsh, the whole kingdom was removed, it was one incident, it was, he had good intentions in doing it, you might say a bit harsh, but yet the Scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. It's a foolish thing to get ahead of God. No matter how the circumstances around you appear, always remember, do not under any circumstance get ahead of what God has told you. And further, not only did Saul take matters into his own hands, but in becoming or acting in the role of priest, he assumed that he had uh, legitimacy in areas that God had not put him in. And here's how a commercial explained that a couple of years ago. Stay in your lane, bro. Y'all remember that commercial? Well, he didn't. And because of that, there were consequences. You and I have lanes that God has put us in. It's so important that we stay in those lanes because those are the lanes he has designed us for. And in those lanes, guess what? We bring glory to God. And we can run in those lanes, just like the writer of Hebrews says, let us run the race that is marked out before us with patience and endurance, keeping our eyes fixed on the finish line. We have this lane. Saul stepped out of his lane, and when he did, he created a mess. But there's a third thing that I want you to notice. Saul's impatient brought Samuel's indictment, but also notice God's intention. In verses 13 and 14, Samuel tells Saul this, and this is kind of a sad statement, really, in a lot of ways. He says, For then the Lord your God would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. It, is, it was God's intention for Saul to make his kingdom last. But Saul's choice undermined God's personal plan for him and for his family. It reminds us of how important our choices are, doesn't it? But look at the intentions of God. The intentions of God 
were to bless Saul and to bless his family and to bless the generations that would come behind him. That was God's intention. I believe what happened here was a test. I believe that God was testing would Saul trust and obey even when everything around uh, looked like disaster. People deserting, Samuel not coming, uh, the Philistines gathering close by. Uh, and I believe it was a test. Are you going to trust? Are you going to obey in spite of what your eyes uh, uh, tell you? And I believe that happens to us too. God gives us a word and it seems like it's not happening. It's not, it's not coming or you're certain that God has spoken to your heart about something and he's confirmed it in his word, but it just doesn't seem to be shaping up. And so you wait and you wait and then finally you've waited your, your 17 or 15 minutes in line with God and you say, I'm just too impatient now and I'm going to have to handle this myself. And what God is doing is he's trying to find out, are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me when logically there's no reason to trust me? When logically everything around you is breaking down, are you going to trust me? And then number two, are you going to obey me? What do, we, what do we learn about God's intentions? I think we learn a couple of things. First, we learn this, that God has intentions for your life. I mean, that's a clear fact. The Bible teaches that before uh, you were, had any days on this earth. The Bible says that all the days were written down for you. The Bible says that uh, before God formed you in the womb, he knew you and he shaped you for a particular purpose. God has intentions for your life. This is a reminder of that fact. But it also tells us this, while he has intentions for your life, he isn't dependent on you. God has intentions for you. He had intentions for Saul's life. And <coughs> when Samuel tells Saul that God had planned to do this and this and this, it wasn't that God said, well, I had, that's what I'd planned, but I really wasn't going to do that because, you know, I'm God and I knew Saul would blow it. no. This is a matter of sovereign will and permissive will, and God is going to accomplish his sovereign will, but there's a permissive will, and you and I come into the sovereign will plan of God, and God says, within my sovereign will that I'm going to accomplish, you have the opportunity to be a part of it. And you choose to what level you're going to obey me and follow me and experience uh, the favor of my great plan and purpose, which I am going to accomplish. So I can do it with you or I can do it without you. So if you ever wonder if God already knows and what do my choices matter, yes, your choices matter. They matter for you. They matter for me. And that's why it's so important that we trust and obey uh, beyond just what logically always fits inside of our head. God has intentions for your life. That's true of everybody here. It's true of everybody listening to me by television or radio or on live stream. God has intentions for your life. But listen, God isn't dependent on you. Verse 14 tells us he had already appointed another. If Saul's not going to do this, then I'm going to get another one. And I'll do the same. I'm going to do the same for them that I was going to do for Saul. So God has intentions for your life, but he's not dependent on you. I think I've told you before, back in my little prayer closet off of my office, I have several little plaques. They're reminders. Um, and one of those plaques says, uh, I don't have to survive. 
I've had it for years, and it's a reminder to me that God doesn't have to have me. God's not dependent on me to get it done. God's not dependent. His kingdom isn't dependent on me. His kingdom's not dependent on any of us, and we need to be reminded of that every once in a while, don't we? If, if we don't step up to what God has designed us for, God doesn't go in heaven. He doesn't call the, the angels together and say, we got a problem. What are we going to do? Uh, Ray has defaulted. How are we going to pull this thing off? God doesn't wring his hands in heaven on any of us, but what he's doing, and here's what we have to get from that. We have to get and understand the incredible privilege God offers us to be a part of the big plan uh, of his kingdom. Another thing that this teaches us is that your choices do not prevent God's sovereign will. They just prevent us from being used for his sovereign purposes if we don't obey. Think about this. If Saul had waited just a little longer, just a little longer, think about how different his life would have been. Just a little longer. Samuel showed up. How different would his life, but not only his life, how different would his family's life have been? One dumb choice at the wrong time changed life for a whole lot of people. When our daughter went off to college, I remember dropping her off. We unpacked her and all of that kind of stuff and spent a day or so doing that. And, uh, and then uh, Allison and I sat down with her before we left. And we'd already had these daddy-daughter talks, you know, and I don't know how many times over the years, but we sat down and for one final talk, and here's what we said. Sweetheart, remember this. One dumb choice can change your life forever. One dumb choice can change your life forever. Do you know that's still true? We need to have that talk with ourselves every once in a while, don't we? One dumb choice. One, one choice to defy what God has said or told us can change our life forever. How different would Saul's life have been if he had waited just a little bit longer? How about you? Have you become impatient with God? Maybe there's something going on in your life that, that you're impatient about, but God is testing you. God is testing your faithfulness. And the question is, will you wait for him? Will you wait a little bit longer? Will you say, God, it doesn't make sense. Everything around me doesn't make sense. Um, so I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. Or will you say, God, I'm not going to live by my sight. I'm going to live by your word. I'm going to live by what you've told me. I'm going to wait for you. Now, waiting is difficult. I, I get it. I, I, I'm just like you. i I've learned the hard way so many times. It's difficult to wait because we live so much by our sight. It was certainly true of Saul. So what does this story teach us about waiting? Well, that's what I want to close with this morning. I want to give you seven lessons. Seven lessons on waiting. I think that will help you. And I think we observe these by the life of Saul and the incident that we've just looked at. Are you ready? Here they are. Number one, don't help God out. 
God doesn't need our help. God requires our obedience, but he doesn't need our help. Now, God will work through you. God will use you, but he doesn't need your help. Don't help God out. There's a great patriarch in the Old Testament named Abraham, and uh, he was a a faithful uh, friend of God. He's called the father of the faithful. But did you know on one occasion he tried to help God out? See, God had given him a promise. God had given him a word that he's going to make, the, make him the father of a great a nation of people. And he was an old man. And he said, there's no way this can happen. He said, I'm old. My wife is old. We can't do this. We're past childbearing. And I don't know how this could ever happen. God said it would. I believe God. His intentions were good. I believe God. So I'm going to have to take this matter into my own hands. He talks to Sarah. Sarah laughs and says, there ain't no way I can have a child. So let's take one of the handmaids. Let's, let's, make, let's make God's will happen. And, well, you know the rest of that story, don't you? And today we have conflict in the Middle East. We have every sense we have conflict in the Middle East Because Abraham, with good intentions, tried to help God out. Don't help God out. Obey God. Surrender to God, but don't help God out. Number two, trust God and don't panic. Saul panicked rather than trust in what Samuel had told him. Fear drove him to get ahead of God. He panicked, and because he panicked, he didn't trust what God had said. You and I can do the very same thing. God doesn't look like you're coming through and we can become so afraid. Fear is a liar and fear is a trap. And the Bible says this, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind. And so it was fear that caused Saul to get ahead of God and it'll cause you to get out in front of God. It'll cause you to panic. Number three, walk by faith reiterated that earlier but I say it again walk by faith because when we get our eyes off of God we walk by sight and when we walk by sight we respond by our feelings we respond by our senses we respond by what seems to make sense when we walk by sight and not by faith you know the story of Peter Jesus walking on the water Peter sees him. The disciples are skeptics. They say, if it is you, Lord, bid me come and I come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat, remember? Which to me is a remarkable thing. Just to me, that's a remarkable thing. I, I didn't see the other 11 getting out of the boat. He gets out of the boat. And then what happens? The Bible says that he begins to walk on the water also. But you know that story too, don't you? You know when he began to sink. When did he begin to sink, class? When he started looking at the wind and the waves, the Bible says. Look at that. Look at that. How can I possibly be doing what I'm doing? I can't do, I can't do this. He took his eyes off of the one that enabled him to walk the path that he had asked to walk. And the same is true for you and I. And we'll get ourselves in trouble when we get our eyes on the Philistines that have mustered. When we get our eyes on the people 
that are running away. When we look around and we don't see the help that we thought we had, we walk by faith, not by sight. Number four, follow God's ways without question. Follow God's ways without question. Obedience does not require an explanation. You know, we live in such a, an age where we want the, the why question answered about everything, don't we? Well, before I do that, explain to me why. Why are you asking me to do that? Why do you want me to do that? And I'm, I'm not telling you there's never a legitimate why question. That's not what I'm saying. But folks, when God tells you something, just obey him. Now, you know, people in our life are not always reliable sources, so a why question may be legitimate at times. But when it comes to God, it's all right, I think, to even say, God, is there something I need to know? But if God doesn't give you something, you don't go, well, until you do, Lord, I will step out, but I'll wait until you explain where we're going. Let's think about Abraham again. You remember when God told Abraham to move his family? He told him to pack up and to take off, and he said, I'll show you, just you get moving. Not too many people today would do that if God said, I want you to get moving. Well, where am I going? I have a GPS, Lord. If you'll just give that to me, I'll put that coordinates in, and I'll know exactly how to get there. No, God said, you just... You just follow me. I'll tell you when. I'll tell you where. Follow God's ways without question. God is up to something big. He's up to something big. He always has been. He's up to something big in our lives. And it may be beyond our ability to comprehend. Have you ever thought about that? That what God is doing in your life is beyond your ability to fully understand or comprehend it. And that's why you have to just simply trust him. Jesus told his disciples before he left, do you remember what he said? There are so many other things I would like to say to you, but you could not handle it. There are things God knows that you can't handle. And by the way, a loving father says, I'm not going to try to explain things to you that number one would not fit in your brain and number two that would scare you to death I'm just going to ask you to follow me to trust me without question he knows what he's doing we all believe that he knows what he's doing and so the next step is to say if I believe that then I'm going to follow that follow God's ways without question number five <clears throat> good intentions do not compensate for disobedience You might argue that Saul's intentions were good, and I think they were. Now, I think they were offered again, as we've said, more out of panic and fear, but I think his intentions were good, don't you? I think they were good. I think he was trying to, he, he was saying this, I don't want to go into war without having the favor of God. I mean, I don't want to go to, to war and not know that God has favored me. And so I think his intentions were good. He was trying to say, God, before we go fight the battle, we're not adequate for the battle. We need your blessing and we need your favor. And so, God, we want that enough 
to do what you haven't designed us to do to get it. Good intentions, however, with God do not compensate for disobedience. You know, it, would, it was God who would also say later to Saul, <clears throat> to obey is better than sacrifice. This isn't the only time Saul took matters into his own hands. And, uh, and by the way, it involved again a sacrifice. When Saul was told to utterly destroy the Amalekites, not to keep anything, and he did. Saul kept some of the livestock and some of the choice livestock, the Bible says, and, and some other things. And, and when he was questioned again by the prophet Samuel, he said, oh, that, oh. Samuel says, didn't God tell you to destroy everything? And yet, why do I hear these sheep in the background? Oh, that, that. Saul said, oh, that, oh, the, the sheep. Um, 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 oh, yeah, uh, we kept those to offer as a sacrifice to God. He's quick. you got to give him that. And that's when God, through the prophet, says to him, don't you know that God says that disobedience is like the sin of witchcraft and to obey God is better than sacrifice. And by the way, he said that to a people who depended on on sacrificing to, to find the favor of God. And God says obedience is so much more important than sacrifice. Good intentions do not compensate for disobedience. Number six, God's timing is never off. God's timing is never off. God is in complete control. Let me say it another way. God never misses. He never misses. Oh, yeah, man, almost... There were two sisters, Mary and Martha. They had a brother named Lazarus. They were, they were close. This was some of the closest friends, earthly friends that Jesus had that weren't his disciples. Well, you know, Lazarus died. You remember when Jesus showed up. The Bible says, by the way, Jesus purposely delayed. After he heard that Lazarus died, he waited to, to go down. And you remember these sweet ladies, these sisters who love Jesus so much. There's a lot of lessons there. But you remember, you remember, Lord, if you'd have just come sooner, our brother wouldn't have died. If you'd have just shown up, just, God, your Jesus, your timing was just off. Just a little bit. You missed just a little bit. And you remember what Jesus said. He said, I am the life and the resurrection. He said, I can take care of this. It's not about timing. My timing is perfect. This is to bring glory to God. Friend, I want to tell you this morning, remember that God's timing is never off. God never misses. He is never early and he is never late regarding your life. You say, well, he's shown up at somebody else's life, so what is that to you? The question is, are you going to wait for the appointed time in which he has promised to show up in your life? His timing is perfect. I mean perfect. 
you've missed in your time before and I've missed in my time before and, and um, you know, we've all done that. But God never has. Not, some, not a few times. God never has. In all of eternity, God has never missed. He's never missed. And he won't now. He's not going to start now. He is the same today as he was yesterday and as he'll be tomorrow. He is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. His timing is perfect. Relax and don't panic. No matter what your eyes tell you, you wait on God. And then number seven, last. Today's decisions impact your tomorrow's. Today's decisions impact your tomorrows. This story of Saul, our passage today, teaches us that, that your personal decisions are important because they affect your future. And by the way, not only your future, they can affect the future of other people in your life. Saul lost the kingdom because of one terribly disobedient decision. You say, well, pastor, when you tell us that, that's kind of spooky. I mean, do we live on eggshells? No, you don't live walking on eggshells. You live walking in obedience. It really is that simple. Trust and obey, the old song says, for there's no other way to be nervous in Jesus. But no, that's not what it says. Trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So listen Listen, today's decision impacts your tomorrows. I've told you this a few hundred times over the past two decades, but I, I really believe if Jesus doesn't return, and I think he might very well in my lifetime, but if he doesn't, and there are generations, you know, after that come after, like my grandsons, and then, then the generations, if they follow them, and if, if Jesus tarries that long, and, and on it goes, and down the road somewhere it gets, and, and, and our family is, is together at some point, and we're long gone, Alice and I, and they start saying, why do you think God has been so good to our family? I hope they'll be able to say, well, there was great, great granddaddy Ray. And, and God has been good to us because he, of the choices he made. And those choices have carried on from generation to generation to generation. Now, I also know that the opposite can be true, too, that they might get down there and say, you know, he, he was a man of clay feet, and he ruined our family. He made choices, and the, the consequences are visited on. The, the father sinned, and the children's teeth were sent, set on edge, the Bible says, or visiting the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generations. I know that. I know that. And I, I want it to be the other way. I want it to be what could have been for Saul, and God favors, and don't you want that? that those generations that come after you, that's why you trusting God today affects your tomorrows and the tomorrows that will come behind you. Saul lost the kingdom because of one terribly disobedient decision. Friend, Christ was never in a hurry. Each day's duties were done as each day brought them. 
and the rest was left to God. In fact, he tells us that in Matthew 6, 33, that each day has enough to worry with, one day at a time, don't be in a hurry, one day at a time. But now, I close by telling you this, don't be in a hurry, but there are some things to be urgent about. Like making sure if you died right now, you'd go to heaven. I want to tell you something. You say, well, I'm not in a hurry. No, you need to be urgent. This is urgent. You can, in this case, there are some things that you are urgent. They need to be dealt with right now. Or maybe you already know Christ. Then making sure that you are obeying him with your life, you're waiting on him and walking with him. Listen, friend, that's urgent. That's not saying, well, I, I'm going to get there. I'm just kind of not in a hurry to get my act together again with God. I, I know I've fallen away a little bit, but I, I'll get it all together. Now, listen, friend, that's, not something, that's something that's urgent. That's something that needs to be dealt with now. That's about urgency. That's not about hurry. And urgency means that now is the time. Now, right now, is the time to address those things. George Whitfield, if you ever get a chance, read a biography about George Whitfield, one of the great awakening preachers of his day. Before the days of amplification, he would uh, preach in fields and, and he would preach to thousands of people. And he didn't have a microphone or anything like this, but uh, the, the history tells us his voice projected so well that people a half a mile away could hear him. One guy says on one occasion, well, it wasn't one guy, it was Benjamin Franklin. He said he was sitting in a tree a quarter mile away, and the power of Whitfield's message and strength of his voice nearly knocked him out of the tree. George Whitfield often had to stop preaching because he would break down in tears when he was preaching. And so someone suggested that he should try to control himself a bit more. And here, here was his response. How can I help weeping for people when they won't weep for themselves? Every time I preach, I wonder if someone is hearing the gospel for the last time. If you don't know Christ, you may be hearing the gospel for the last time. That's urgent. Wait on God, but now is the day of salvation. God has said that day has already arrived. You don't need to wait on that. That's urgent. And this may be, you may be watching us by live stream or television, you're listening to us on the radio, whatever it may be, in this live audience. You know it's possible that this could be the last day you ever hear the gospel. It's urgent. If you're a believer and you have just wandered away from God, there's urgency in returning to God. Just like the urgency that Jesus called the churches in the seven churches in Revelation. There's an urgency about those messages. About correcting the course and the path. And maybe in your life, you need to correct the path. That's urgent. Correct the path so you can wait on God. But this is that day. 
Today is that day. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, remind us from the story of Saul. It really is kind of a sad story. I read that story. In some strange way, Lord, all these thousands of years later, I grieve for Saul. For what could have been that wasn't. And then, Lord, I know that there are people listening to me, and they're kind of like Saul. They've gotten ahead of you. They've got in front of you. They're not waiting. And if they're not careful, they're going to miss what could be. And I pray that you'd move in their hearts and call them anew to you. And for those, Father, that do not know you, who are watching, listening, however it may be, sitting in this audience, Lord, there may be some of those, and this is the last time they'll ever hear how much you love them. The last time they'll ever have an opportunity to call on the name of the Lord. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. 